the Plotcast podcast with the Potty Plotters. Hello and welcome back to the Potty Plotters Plotcast podcast. This is episode 27 and I'm Elaine. And I'm Julia. And if you'd like to get in touch with us at any time via our social channels, please do. A reminder, what are they, Julia? Well, we've got Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Potty Plotters, TikTok at The Potty Plotters, email us naughtycorner at pottyplotters.uk or check out our website pottyplotters.uk. Well done, Julia. Right then, so what are we talking about on this episode then? Well, we're going to talk about the spinach. And the dahlias. And we're going to be taking some seeds. And I've already got some, but I'll tell you all about those. Let's dig up some of those shallots that we did forever ago. And we're going to dig up those beetroot that we did. Can you remember we did them in our different styles? Let's see which style was best, Elaine. Okay, proof of the pudding and all of that. And we'll be talking to Ben Pope as well. Contact the Potty Plotters anytime on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Potty Plotters or email naughtycorner at pottyplotters.uk. Two weeks ago, I set my spinach, Julia, in multipurpose compost in trays. How's yours going on? Well, mine are going on brilliantly. I put them in the ground and they've come up and they're probably the same rate as yours. So, yeah, You never have a problem with yours, though, do you? Well, I have covered them because obviously the mice would have had them otherwise. But uh, no, they're coming up thick and fast. Okay, and the good thing about it is because it's so quick to germinate, don't forget, everybody, that if you are doing spinach, make sure that you've got perhaps another three weeks and set the next lot as well because it is successful the podcast podcast with the potty plotters julia you've got some fantastic dahlias here that i can see they're already about 18 inches high perhaps even taller how do you stop them from uh, snapping and breaking so what i've done is i've put three uh, bamboo canes on around the dahlia each dahlia plant and all I'm going to do is wrap some twine around them as they grow, around the canes as they grow, and that will almost act like a little cage to keep them from falling over. Uh, one thing that I have been doing, I've been pinching out the main growing tip on some of them just to encourage some more side shoots so I get even more flowers. The only thing that I've made a mistake on, I've lost all my labels, so I don't know what is going to look like what and what needs certain levels of support so I'm just playing it by ear but they do look very healthy don't they Elaine? Yeah they do and you haven't got any black fly or green fly either how have you done that? Uh, I've been squishing because and? that and I've also uh, been finding the ladybirds on my plot and introducing them to one another so they've had little families and oh. <laughs> it's a romance on an allotment and I've encouraged them to obviously repopulate and uh, they will eat all the black flies and all the problems for me so I'd rather go the natural way if possible well they look fantastic so credit where credit's due I think they were my plants and I gave them in the first place but thanks Julia top Notch advice, no Latin included. The Potty Plotters Plotcast. Now, Elaine, what are you doing clutching all those wine bags? What have you been up to? I forgot that there were wine bags, actually. Yeah, so I've uh, been taking off the aquilegia stalk. So they were in flowers, also known as uh, grandma's bonnets, for those people who remember them by those names. And uh, they're already going to seed. So what I did was I hung them upside down to dry a little bit in my shed. And now what I'm going to do is, before they stop dropping all of their seeds everywhere, I've got the wine containers here. Oh, 
flitting out. Look here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you've got the wank into you've got a, you've got a card in there as well. <laughs> you've got the wank. I'll have a look at that later on. Is it for me? Anyway, you've got the what you mean What's is the, the bottle? wine bottle box, uh, the wine bottle bags. <laughs> that they send the bottles in yeah. and you've obviously got a lot so people obviously think you've got a problem <laughs> yes it's just how it is julia and all you do is you put all the seed heads into the <laughs> bottle bag <laughs> like that there you go <gasps> that's amazing look in there now julia all of those seeds Ooh, yeah why have you used this wine bottle bag though elaine because it's longer and the stalks of this plant is really really long so i just think that uh, it's dead nifty dead handy and why not the plotcast podcast with the potty plotters so we've come out onto your plot again to get the uh, shallots out elaine what's wrong with them well there's nothing wrong with them julia but um people at the pl- at the moment on the allotments are taking up their shallots now all i would advise is if you have a look at mine mine have still got lots of green tops don't take them up whilst you've got green tops because it's an well i think it is it's an indicator that they're still growing so as you can see one shallot has turned into five six seven which is fantastic but they're still green in the top only when they're brown do you take them right i don't want to embarrass you yeah (laughs) what have you done (laughs) nothing i just and i know it's not a failure it's an experiment (laughs) but why have yours got seed heads coming on yeah well they won't be in a minute julia because all you do is you take them off and that's a good point any of the alliums so whether it be an onion whether it be shallot or the garlic take off those little twiddly bits on the top evidently you can eat them but i tell you what i've just smelt them and that smells very strong of onions The next thing that we want to remind people, of course, is about uh, tights, Julia. At this time of year, it's a perfect time for using and recycling your tights. Well, mine, not yours. You're flipping up for tights, Elaine. We normally put them underneath our trousers. What are you talking about? We don't need them, but we do need them for storing onions. And all that you do is when you dig up the onions, when they're ready to be taken, that they've got brown on the top and they've started to look like they're dying down. Wait until it's okay to take all the soil off the root area and then just pop them into the foot of your tights put a peg over the top and then stack the next one on top so it's not actually touching each of the onions i don't know if that made much sense but if you've got long legs like i have and wide ones as well let's just hope that we can fill them full of onions that'd be worth a fortune if you don't understand what i'm rambling on about we'll put a picture on our social media because julia you're looking a little bit baffled (laughs) i'm just imagining kev's onions in your (laughs) town Hints and tips for shortcuts to success. The Potty Plotters Plotcast. So we're now going to talk to Ben Pope and he is on the RHS Herbaceous Plants Committee and he's also a gardening author. Thank you for inviting me on. It's, it's great to be here. What is it about grass? Because we can't eat it, so we're, we can't kind of get our head <laughs> round it. In fact, we've got an eye on some lawn that we're thinking of digging up soon uh, to turn into more vegetable plots so what is it about grass i think it's useful for a lot of reasons isn't it i mean it, it's a nice soft safe space you know to, for, for friends family to play underfoot um but it can also be an amazing habitat for wildlife i mean do you not that's that first smell you know that mow you get 
that first time in the year i absolutely love that that smell it's gorgeous and and then just the feel of it under bare feet you know walking on nice soft grass so yeah yeah i, I guess it's a bit of that <laughs> so you're a mower then not a no mower well i'm a bit of both actually you know i, I kind of sit on the fence and swing from side to side and um yeah i like to leave certain bits long so in the garden i look after and in my field we've got some really long patches of meadow grass which is beautiful and with all of that kind of comes a different management and also benefits for all the different insects and moths and butterflies and things that will enjoy that. Um, but I do like some bits nicely tightly mown as well, you know, that soft, nice, lush greenness, as I said. Um, paths, I think, you know, work really nicely through through long grass that you often see. So, so yeah. You see, I'd rather walk along, along the um, soil where my potatoes have been and uh, and so forth because yeah. i like the smell of soil when it's just been turned over so we've all got fetishes but that's one that i really like so oh, do you actually grow your own veg anywhere we do yes yeah yeah i i grow i grow for the family that i for the garden i look after so um we've got seven big vegetable beds there that we grow um all sorts of veg uh, as well as a couple of greenhouses for some greenhouse crops and then I'm looking in my market garden to um, develop areas and grow grow lots more because it is addictive and it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It looks beautiful and it actually gives you something, you know, to taste. And, and I don't know, it, it's so satisfying on so many levels, isn't it? If you're growing in those spaces, how do you manage the pests and everything? Because obviously, you know, on an allotment site, it's, we're just bombarded all the time with pigeons, mm. with green fly, black fly, everything. Yeah. And everything at the moment is just netted and covered over. So I can imagine the private garden that you you manage. Are you having to manage it in a different way? Because it looks quite ugly, everything covered in netting. Yeah. So I just wonder how you manage the pest problem or whether yeah. you've got a pest problem. We do. It's that thing, isn't it? Those first couple of years when you start growing veg on sort of a virgin plot, it's all easy. And, and then suddenly everything realises that you've got a nice larder and they come in, <laughs> don't they, year yeah. after year? <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah no we do and you mentioned netting that's definitely one thing we do um but we try and make everything look attractive so we'll use lots of bean poles for you know growing beans peas and structures and as they get kind of the bottoms rot they get cut down so then we make sort of brassica nets with them or or nets to go over the black currants when they're in fruit and then we buy sort of high quality netting black netting that kind of disappears so we kind of use the bean poles put terracotta pots sort of upturned on the tops which helps. And then we put this netting over and we peg it. And it's it's quite flexible, you know, because once the crop's finished, you can actually move it on and use it for other things throughout the year. So that's one thing we do. Um, we also, um, well, we're using chicken wire because one of the things I struggle with is strawberries. The mice seem to always want to eat them. The blackbirds want to eat them. The squirrels want to eat them. And, and we're going down the route there with them doing tabletop strawberries with some scaffold boards and a metal frame. And then having chicken wire actually um, yeah. over them, which again, we're trying to make it look as attractive as possible. And I think they look all right, but you know, so I'm sure some people will say, say otherwise. But again, if you can actually get a nice crop, that's the best thing. And we like everything to look smart, clean and tidy. And of course, a lot of the TV programmes portray that that is a real a kitchen garden, that's a real allotment, when the truth is most of us know that it's really not practicable to do that when it actually comes to your garden, and I know that you've written a new book or last year wrote your book, 
So you talked about the practicalities of pest control in there. Um, I mentioned it, yeah. Having sort of softer, sort of wilder areas, slightly unkept, you know, it's all about trying to get that balance, isn't it? And as gardeners, we kind of get stuck in and upset the balance, really, because we want to make it what we want to make it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but then, so then it's the kind of like trying to nurture in. I mean, luckily, where I garden, we grow lots of cut flowers. So that brings in lots of pollinators. Um, I'm quite a fan of self-seeding and I like the kind of the idea that the garden's kind of getting away with you a bit. So, you know, leaving the odd few parsnips into self-seed is, is yeah. a wonderful thing. Um, and, and then we're kind of those lovely kind of lime green umbels that we've got at the moment, you know, and that, of course, brings in hoverflies. Yeah. Um, there's that wonderful Tagetes, um cinnabar. Don't know if you know it. It's really, really good for pollinators and you can collect the seed and grow it again, you know. Um, so yeah that all sorts of things like that help help kind of bring in and 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 I do mention those in the book um also bug hotels and all the other things which I'm sure you and your listeners have all heard of that also helps so so yeah it's a bit of everything and when it comes to um creating a cut garden I mean I think that that is the trend at the moment so many people are creating certainly beds or gardens for the cut flower I mean going British and being able to create things like that are phenomenal and what's your view on buying British flowers and growing them year on year out yeah, I mean, if if you can afford to, I think you know, cut flowers are a luxury, aren't they? Um, the cost of them, and if you can afford to buy buy British, that's great because there's a lot of environmental, you know, impacts in terms of the water usage in the countries and flying them the air miles, also the pesticides and the preservatives. So definitely buy British, um, but, but better still, grow your own, you know. And I'd always the tip I always say is, is start off with a few little bud vases because then you don't need much to fill it. So you could get a few sprigs of whatever it is from your garden, one or two. And it's amazing the difference it has, whether it's on your bedside table or, you know, in the bathroom or or the dining table. It just really brings life into that. And there's that connectivity with the seasons, you know, and with your own garden, what you're gardening. So it's it's a bit like growing and eating your vegetables. I find it now really satisfying. I've never used to. When I started here, I hadn't really grown cut flowers much. I'd done a bit of allotmenting. One of the things we were reading about you was that you are on the RHS Herbaceous Committee. Tell us what that's all about. It sounds very grand. Yeah, what is it about? Yeah, what is it all about? How do you get involved? And do you get to judge the shows or anything? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not allowed to talk about it. It's all secret. Oh, <laughs> no. oh my goodness. We won't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's um, it's a group, actually, of people who have um, a professional interest in herbaceous perennials. I mean, I'm on the herbaceous committee, so there are other, other groups for tender and whatever else. And we oversee the trials that go on. I don't know if you've heard of yeah, that award, yeah. AGM. Yeah. So the Award of Garden Merit, we oversee those and ratify the results and, and help kind of organise them. Um, and we also go and visit other other shows. So we don't actually judge. Well, some of the members will be judging, in fact, the floral exhibits in the flower shows and, and, and the gardens themselves. But I don't particularly do that. I kind of sit on the trials, which is actually one of my real loves. You know, when you get a, a genus and you compare them all and you talk with everyone else and, and discuss which are the best ones to grow and then the most reliable ones to grow. And then we recommend them, you know, through the AGM to the public. So that's yeah. a big thing about what we do. But as a committee, we're sort of trying to do other new new things, interfacing with people and get people sort of more interested in gardening, especially after lockdown. And we've, you know, recruited all those lovely new gardeners. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we're massive fans of the yeah. herbaceous border. Um, mm. What would you say is your favourite flower from the herbaceous border? Oh, gosh, that's really hard because it changes pretty much, you know, week on week, depending what's coming up. <laughs> um, I mean, I love sanguisorbas uh, and angelicas uh, to start off with. So they're kind of the more of the kind of natural side of things. Yeah. Helleniums. Um, I think right. are wonderful. There's this one called Rausch Topaz, and it's one of my favourites. It's this yellow with this rusty coloured, and the petals are curled. And it's in my book, actually. Plug my book again. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, good. But um, I mean, there are so many. I'm a big fan of Aracemas, just because you know. Do you know those? The Aeroid, no. the Aeroid family. They look have these really weird kind of spades, and they can look quite tropical. Um, in fact, a lot of them come from Asia, but. Um, yeah, they're amazing. Not always hardy. So I, I kind of look after those um, with a loving hand and bring them in, in in the winter, sort of dry them off and they stay in sort of a frost free area. Um, I mean, dahlias, um, they're tubers, but they're herbaceous. So um, that comes under our field. And in fact, I'm on the, the dahlia trial this year. So I'm, I'm really excited to go and start looking and reviewing those. But I mean, the colour spectrum yeah. that they come in and I think they're really good. For, for a beginner gardener, you know, and for cut flowers, because you get all sorts of shapes, all sorts of colours, um, and they're really, really reliable. And not all plants are reliable, not all gardeners are, but certainly not <laughs> all plants are. But what I would say is, you know, how can we encourage uh, the next generation to start and grow in their own garden and realise how much fun it can actually be? Because, you know, the RHS can sound a little bit stuffy when um, perhaps we've heard or listened to yeah. some things or, or even when you're reading it. You know, you talk Latin, lovely. We do gobbledygook. And uh, <laughs> yeah. people seem to understand both, I suppose. So how would we encourage younger people? They certainly do understand both. It's, it's you know, gardening is one of those great levelers, isn't it? No matter where you come from, your background, your country, whatever, it we can find common ground there. And I think one of the most exciting things is propagation, you know, growing things from seed. Yeah. And if you can get children engaged with that, that's exciting. So, you know, sunflowers, all the different sunflowers, whether they're the biggest, they can be the tallest and the biggest, but actually, you know, the multi-headed ones are, are amazing. Yeah. So getting kids to grow things like that. And then anything like you guys, you know, vegetables, edibles, you know, yeah. it could start off with as simple as cress. I mean, you know, or some salad leaves, but they obviously kids like things a bit sweeter. So maybe garden peas, you know, doing something like that, that's going to grow quick and they're going to see it. And I think that really does engage. It's that excitement, isn't it, of the seeds yeah. first germinating and and kind of, you know, onward from there, the journey, really. And we've got a job next week. We're digging somebody's lawn up. <laughs> and uh, they don't know this yet. But... <laughs> <laughs> but Are they going to... on holiday? So we wondered if you've got any hints or tips that um, we could actually have, besides barricading the gate so nobody <laughs> can come in and see what we're doing, about perhaps what would grow on a has-been lawned area. <laughs> um, it all depends on the soil, really, doesn't it? I mean, I... And also where are you about you are in the country, most of the country is going through a bit of a drought at the moment. Yeah. And um, quite hot and dry as it's summer. So it's not the best time to be planting and doing anything like that. Um, I mean, if you want to do any direct sowing, you could sow some quick annuals just to give a bit of instance. You know, one of those pictorial meadow mixes with cosmos and stuff like that. They will start to germinate and you'll probably get some flowers by the end of the season. September, they'll be looking amazing. Okay. Um, not too late no 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 but you are going to have to sort of irrigate it and things like that it's not just going to germinate and you'll have to prepare the seedbed a little bit 
um because they'll need a bit of loose soil you know to sow into they rather than just chucking the seeds on the top of what could be quite a hard sort of compacted soil isn't really going to come to much so you'll have to do a little bit of soil preparation i I'm afraid. It's okay. But... We've got a friend who's got a JCB, actually, Ben. <laughs> so, um, we'll get that through the gate when we've taken the fence down and um, and we'll see what we can do, Julia. <laughs> Reading on your biography that you've taken a piece of land and you want to make it a market garden, which you're obviously doing and everything. Is that the kind of retirement plan? Is that where you're going with this? It is, yes, yeah. Um, I currently do a bit of teaching and stuff, so I'd love to run courses from it as well and inspire, you know, take, take school groups and... and like you, you were talking about get them engaged get show them the magic and the excitement of actually growing some of some of your own food you don't have to grow it all and be self-sustainable yeah. so yes um but it's five and a half acres so i'm going to have a lot of it to naturalistic planting um which i'm experimenting with and i've started putting in like the green infrastructure the hedges and because it's an open field and it's really exposed and it's heavy clay which is not what i'm gardening on here so mm-hmm. lots of differences um bit of a challenge uh, and trying to water the hedging for instance that I've put in and I haven't got a watering facility I've got a tap in the corner just mm. bought myself a bowser so I feel like it's Christmas because <laughs> <laughs> I've literally been carrying watering cans around a field and thinking I'm absolutely mad yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah but hopefully things will get a bit easier you know from here on in and I think as I start to create some of those microclimates and and, and protect areas from the wind and the exposure that actually it will become easier to grow a lot of things so yeah mm. Reading your blog about it, actually, and the problems you've had with with deer coming yeah. in and everything else. And actually, that's the kind of thing I think a lot of people want to hear about, because whilst, you know, it's great that you've got the knowledge and we've got our knowledge about growing your own, people actually want to hear that you've had a problem or you've had failures because it makes it more realistic. And it kind of that inspires people, I think, as much as, you know, having great successes. Yeah, so, you know, I'm yeah, sure... we can all be in it together, can't we? You know, yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So so when are you hoping to finalise that? Are you have you got a date that you're working to or oh well it keeps moving back because <laughs> I, I'm terrible at saying no to things and I, I, I feel I feel my days quite a lot. But um the sort of this year I'm hoping to finish off the coppice and start planting um this autumn and winter, planting hedging for the compost area. I've got one of the growing areas sort of fenced off for the deer, as you've mentioned, but um I think, and I put some of the the mypex, the black sort of pipe, sort of covering down to kill off the grass. Yeah. So that will, as of next year, be mulched with organic matter, and then I can start growing things in there. So, so that hopefully, then you know, by the end of next summer, I'll be actually um, selling or giving away a lot of the initial crops of stuff um, to local people and the community and that sort of thing to to get interest going. And yeah. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Oh, well, good luck with that. Yeah. I really hope it gets going and you get get to that point next year. And oh, thank you. Get, uh, if we do get sent to prison for digging up the lawn, then uh, remember us, but we will come and find <laughs> you. Because I can't wait to see how it all turns out. It'll be brilliant. <laughs> I could do a, a, with a friend who's got a digger. So if he gets bored or she gets bored, <laughs> um, just um, send them my way, yeah? Contact the Potty Plotters anytime on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Potty Plotters or email naughtycorner at pottyplotters.uk.
So episode 20, Julia, I remember that we had a little bit of a competition going on. You set clumps of beetroot as little tiny seedlings and I did straight rows. Let's have a look at what's happened. Yeah, I did mine in clusters and I just planted them randomly and I always expect that one will outgrow all the others in the cluster. I'll twist and pull, I'll have a nice big beetroot and then I'll have loads more to carry on growing. So let's see whether yours are bigger than mine. I don't hear that very often nowadays. Right then, so we're in amongst the uh, beetroot. Oh yeah, so you have got a dominant one um, surrounded by some smaller ones. I call that one one Elaine. (laughs) So big and beautiful. Yes, but you're going to take that one out then. Well, let me just have a look. You see, all my clusters have got a dominant beetroot. Can you see? Yeah. And then they've got other ones coming along the side of them. Yeah, some of them aren't quite as big as yours. I'll admit that, but that one is, that Elaine there is dominant so all you do is literally hold the other beetroot in place in the cluster and give it a twist and pull and there we go and i tell you what she is big and beautiful but what about this row over here then julia let's have a look it's fair to say that some of them at the beginning are quite small but as we move along the row because they're shaded better look at that beauty Oh, I tell you what, it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> and I've got a beetroot face at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've not done too bad and either way works, but I've still got a lot more coming on than you. Thanks ever so much to uh, Ben for his time and his expertise as well. And hopefully we'll all learn from the things that he's told us. So next time on episode 28, we'll be talking about more succession planting. Now's the time to be doing it. I'm going to be training my pumpkins. How are you going to do that? Is that like a puppy training class or something? Uh, No, not really. I've just got a big stick and they'll do as I say. I'll be picking beans, not picking on them, but I will be picking them. You're very domineering, aren't you, sometimes? (laughs) Carrots, I'm going to be getting some carrots out okay well i'll tell you what i'll do some more uh, gin tricks as well if you like oh god i thought you only did them in the evening <laughs> it depends how much i've had to drink right then and uh, yeah let's just find out what everybody's been up to tell them to ring us or do whatever it is what was it that it is that you always they get can wrong contact at the us anyway oh, yeah. come on i've got the deck chairs yeah, out right. now come if on, we listen we can hear the ice cream man in the distance i reckon the Plotcast Podcast with the Potty Plotters is an Amberland Media Production.